everybody. Welcome to Rock and Roll Shinsu Chu, episode number 76. My name is Gabe Estel. I'm here with my co-hosts, Dennis Levi Leach and Jonathan Getz. How's it going, guys? I'm, I'm feeling the spirit of 76. Good. Glad to be hey. here. Glad you're here. Glad everyone else is here as well. Uh, well, let's just dive right into it. Tonight is a special night because we're going to be inducting the third class of the Chew-Ins. The Chew-Ins. And what the Chew-Ins are is they are our version of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Okay? So that means musicians that, while respectable, will probably never be in the actual Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Probably. And the only other criteria, really, was we wanted them to have more than one good record, right? I mean, that's kind of a... I, I, I Looking at all the nominees, and, or inductees, I should say, it seems like that's the case. So, we're going to be inducting class number three. Uh, if you haven't uh, had a chance, you can listen to the other episodes. We were... Uh, the other inductee episodes uh, from a couple, well, 2015 and then 2016, tonight being the class of 2017. Um, and uh, we're also going to have a little bit of fun tonight with the actual nominee, the, the actual induct, I keep saying nominees, the actual inductees for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Okay, the one in Cleveland. All right. So, we're going to have some fun with those as well. As everybody knows, uh, Pearl Jam, yes, Journey, uh, Tupac, Joan Baez, Electric Light Orchestra, just some of the, those are the groups that were inducted this year. Um, so, why don't we go ahead and get started, though, with a little bit of baseball news. Jonathan was lucky enough to attend a game. Yeah, this is this is news, unfortunately, in my world over the last few years. I only go to maybe one or two games a year. Um and uh, we went, but uh, I went with uh, my company that I work for uh, this past week. Uh, Royals facing the White Sox. Um, fortuitous enough to to catch a game in that series, right? And uh, so we're, we're we're cruising up on the we're on a big school bus, and we're cruising up uh, underneath. Uh, you pull into the Kaufman Gates, and uh, uh, and you kind of uh, take this curve around, and it goes under this viaduct, right? So there's like this overpass. And yeah, Getz, Getz was mid-keg stand, and he chipped a tooth, all right? <laughs> anyway, go on. <laughs> I can't divulge that because I was part of a company. <laughs> Had Tina from accounting holding his legs, like, ah, drink! Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> so so I, I, I come up for air, and... Uh, uh, and and there's a guy up near the uh, the, the top of the um, the embankment, uh, kind of like uh, on the concrete, like taking a photo of something in in a drainage pipe. And so we're all like, you know, sh- kind of like yelling at him, "Hey, what are you what are you taking a photo of?" And the guy turns, stands up, and turns around, and it's Danny Duffy, the ah. Royals, uh, you know, number one starting pitcher. And he looks at us, and he's like. There's a giant rat in this drainage pipe. <laughs> ah. <laughs> so Danny doesn't have anything to do because Danny just started today. 
uh, this being Sunday. So he had a couple days off there where he didn't have any obligations, I guess. And so that's when you just like cruise. I always kind of wondered what the what the pitchers did on their days off. They just a lot of them the seem to be in photography, there. huh? Randy Johnson, Danny Duffy. Right, yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, he, he chatted it up a little bit and, and, and walked along back to where. I don't I don't know, like, where he came <laughs> from or where he went back to, but... He was a far, he was a long way from like the stadium. This wasn't just like right next to the clubhouse door or anything. <laughs> he he threw a smoke bomb on the ground, came up and then it was gone. Yeah. Yeah, and then, then the White Sox kicked the Royals' ass and uh that was that. <laughs> yeah, uh that was that was a bright spot. I mean, well I think the series was even. I think it was two games apiece. So we split the series. It was a four game series. Right. Yeah. So yeah, and, yeah. It's um. But and then, hey, then you, when it, you guys, you guys are still up there near first. So congratulations. It is. I mean, it's it's kind of a little bit of a unsexy, like because we're like fifteen and fifteen. We just got swept by Baltimore this weekend. So, but hey, you know, uh, division might not be that good this year. Apparently not. Yeah, unless not, they, not so far. Unless Cleveland really starts to make a run, and they could really pull away fast, but. Um, oh yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, a lot of teams just—I don't think they've found their groove yet, you know. So it's just no. I mean, I mean, there's already a couple teams that are almost ten games out now in the in baseball. Toronto, like Toronto. Yeah, the uh, Blue Jays are yeah. off to a really rough start. Yeah, uh, Levi, uh, I mean, lucky for you, Levi. The NL Central is pretty tight. <laughs> uh, the yeah, I mean, the Cubs have kind of been stinking it up the last couple of days, or. The Yankees like have come to town and are just like stomping on us, but I, uh, I I hate to say it, they look pretty good this year. They do, yeah, especially with Judge. You know, I mean, shit. Yeah. <laughs> well, and they look like they're going to be good for quite a few years if they keep all this young talent, yeah. right? Which is weird because I don't, you know. You don't associate young talent yeah, and Yankees, right? Yeah. I mean, they I think of high priced free agents, but they've they've kind of changed the formula in recent years. Um, so, and then like, you know, once they get some of that money off the books, they'll have cash again to spend, you know, I mean, once Sabathia's contract's up and anyway. Oh yeah. They'll, they'll, they'll be in the bidding for Kershaw or Trout or, uh, Harper, uh, Harper, you know, whatever yeah. the big free agent class is here in a couple of years. Oh, uh, I, I think definitely Bryce Harper's like, you know going to be in new york he already seems like a new yorker right (laughs) yeah i mean even though he's you know from las vegas shave um, that beard yeah right so interesting story about danny duffy um well guys let's go ahead then and uh start with the class of 2017 um just want to give a recap we've we've we have we had six inductees over the last two years uh, those being Marshall Tucker Band, Grand Funk Railroad, uh, Kevin Kinney for his work in Driving and Crying and, and Solo, um, and then also DJ Quick, so the lone hip-hop inductee so far. Uh, and then uh, also there's uh, J.J. Kale. J.J. Kale. Yeah, J.J. Kale. Yeah, Kale. So, uh, yeah, so that's... Oh, and then, I'm sorry, Faith No More as well. Oh, yes. So, good good classes. Nice, nice... I'm like, man, those guys have good taste. So good work so far. Uh, Running the gamut from DJ Quick to Grand Funk. Uh, So this year's class, I want to go ahead and get into that. Uh, We're each going to talk a little bit about, each of us gets 
one inductee. So we'll have a class of three tonight. Uh, so, Levi, why don't you go ahead and start us off, man? Who uh, who who gets the plaque on the wall, wherever well, that plaque is and that wall uh, is? The guy I have selected is a guy who was at one time called the uh, the world's greatest unknown guitar player. Yep, and that is Roy Buchanan. And uh, he's a, a special guy with a special Telecaster. He uh. His guitar was called Nancy, and it was a 1953 Tele, I believe. And um, his bridge pickup, like when guitar techs or he would try to get a measurement from it with a meter, it would always show zero. But the pickup worked. And so that was like part of the key to his tone. And he also he played through a Vibrolux, cranked all the way up like like Hendrix would have done or something. And, um, yeah, he was just an amazing guitar player who more people should definitely know about. Uh, he grew up in, uh, like a poor small farm town outside of Bakersfield. So he was absorbing all that, like Buck Owens and Bakersfield sound in the fifties and stuff. And, um, when he was 15, he'd left his family and with his guitar and started playing with Johnny Otis who was like kind of a yep. rhythm and blues, early rock and roll type of guy, oh, yeah. whose son is Shuggy Otis, who's uh, an amazing guitar player, or was in his own right. Yeah. He's the guy who wrote Strawberry Letter 23 for the, bur- yeah, later right. had a hit with the Brothers right. Johnson. And um, yeah, he ended up meeting Dale Hawkins, who was like an early rock and roll R&B rockabilly guy, and he... Played with him for, I don't know, four or five years, and he met his cousin, Ronnie Hawkins, who had a band called Ronnie Hawkins and the Hawks, based in Canada. So he moves to Canada. Well, in that band, he's playing with Robbie Robertson and Danko, and uh, I'm not sure if LeVon was in the band then or not. He was. Was he? Yeah. And like Garth Hudson, I I think, might have been. Yeah. And so he tutored Robbie Robertson. Like, he was the main lead guitar guy, and he, like, tutored him, and then he ended up leaving them and ended up getting, like, jobs as, like, session and side work in the early 60s for some 60s country artists, Freddie Cannon and Merle Kilgore, who ended up being Hank Williams Jr.'s manager. Oh, okay. And uh, he ended up moving to the Washington, D.C. area in the mid-60s, and, like, off and on, like, wouldn't play guitar for a long time. He, he was a guy who, who I think was haunted by a lot of demons, whether they were substance-based, because he did like the booze, and, like, there were times where, you know, I think he would take whatever... Like, traveling musicians back then would take whatever pills or whatever they could find when they were on the road, and uh, he, he always just had, like, a lonesomeness about him. You can just tell in the interviews, and then there's a a documentary that was produced about him in 1971 that PBS made, a local PBS station, and and it basically got him his first major record deal with Polydor. Mm-hmm. And uh, he released two great records on Polydor. Uh, the first one's just called Roy Buchanan, and the second one is, I guess they were out of fantastic yeah. psychedelic band names, they just called it the second album of Roy Buchanan. And, uh, a funny story is, I guess in 1968, a friend gave him tickets to see Hendrix when he was in the D.C. area. 
And uh, he went and saw him, and he was, like, totally blown away, but also, like, kind of disheartened because, like, the things he had kind of perfected in doing with his hands and, like, with the tone controls, kind of making wah-wah effects just with his hands, like people and Hendrix were doing with just, like, electronics and pedals and effects. And so he kind of went back and just, like, woodshedded and just concentrated on his, like, country rock type playing but he always still had like a fiery rock side to him the guy could play jazz blues early rockabilly just straight up rock and roll uh, he, he's just a fantastic guitar player and like i said with that with that special telecaster he had and then that fender amp cranked he, he had a, a special tone supposedly he would sometimes also do what was a dave davies from the kinks would do he would slice his speakers with a razor to kind of give him a, a harder distorted sound. Yeah. And so, you know, on and off in the early 70s, he's like kind of hardly working. I mean, there are a few years where after those records, you know, he didn't get famous. The records didn't sell well. And then, you know, he kind of had a little bit of control creatively with those first couple of records. And once they didn't sell they kind of stripped all that away and we're just trying to make him play what they thought would make him popular. And so he got kind of disenfranchised with the whole music business. And, um, he trained and he was a barber, like on the side, he like cut hair. Wow. And, uh, yeah. And the guy, you know, some people called him better than Hendrix and stuff. Supposedly, as, as, as a as a guitarist, not a barber. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. As, <laughs> we don't as know a how barber. Jimmy could cut hair. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, in the documentary, which we'll post a link to on, uh, I'll put it in my YouTube playlist that we're all going to make for our inductees. You know, there are, are audio clips from Jerry Garcia, Merle Haggard talking about you know his plane and and how how great it is and that's in 1971 and and what's so crazy is in this documentary he's so melancholy and and like one of the quotes he's like oh i guess i just never got famous because i just you know i never cared you know i was just i just wanted to play for myself or whatever he's just so like laid back and and he talks about like growing up in that you know, outside of Bakersfield, growing up being kind of poor and having to pick cotton and whatnot, and yeah, it was like yeah. it was like grapes of wrath shit. He was growing yeah, up, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it just <laughs> yeah, it's and you can just sense like the melancholy loneliness of the guy. At least I can. Yeah. So, um, He's an enigmatic figure. That's yeah. For sure. Supposedly, I mean, I. I don't know how you would verify this. I guess you'd have to ring up Mick or Keith, but supposedly he turned down a job with the Rolling Stones. I assume I that would have been when Brian Johnson died. I would Brian guess. Jones. Yeah. Or Brian Jones, Jones, Jones I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was. Yeah, so from like 78 to 85, he was basically a recluse. He, only, he played like live sparingly, only made one record. And then in 85, he got signed to Alligator Records, which was a major blues label in the 80s. And I believe they're still around. And yeah, they, they were part of the just rebirth of blues in the USA, which yeah. was huge in the 80s. And uh, he made three albums for them, and they're all excellent. His last one came out in uh, 
1988 and yeah. shortly before he passed away, which is which is a crazy story. Um, like his manager and his friends say he had like kind of like chilled off the drinking because I guess that was always one of his biggest vices was the booze. And so he got arrested on August 14th in 1988 for public intoxication after a domestic disturbance at his residence. And so he gets taken to jail and like at 10:26 p.m. he's in the jail cell he's fine. Like they do the rounds at like 11:40. Uh-huh. He's in the jail cell there, and he's killed himself, supposedly. Relatives who later saw the body say it was bruised all over. So, like, relatives and f- some friends to this day still dispute that fact, which uh, just leads more to the just the, the legend of he's Roy. mythic. Yeah, I'm, and it's so crazy that this, it's... This, you know what I mean? This is like, like you said, this is like Grapes of Wrath meets like a rock and roll odyssey because he played and traveled everywhere meets like a, a Quentin Tarantino movie. It's just like the guy had this crazy life and, and no one hardly knows about him. And it's just a shame. I had also read that um, he like sold out um Radio City Music Hall, Carnegie Hall, like kind of or Carnegie Hall. I'm sorry, yeah. uh, like by like basically word of mouth. Yeah, know? he didn't like, have any albums out. He sold it yeah. out without any albums. Yeah, dude, yes, and that that leads, you know, that tells you how big of a, a fan base the guy had, just from word of mouth. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. His his legend certainly so, yeah. preceded him. Required listening is obviously those first two records, and then um, anything else is 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 good still. You know what I mean? But by Roy Buchanan standards, those first two records are where it's at for sure. Well, they're great. I like the second one, actually, I think the best, um, of, of those two. Oh, yeah. It's got after hours on it, which actually yeah. after hours, which is on that second album was actually cut as a demo to get him signed for that first record. Oh, okay. It, it, it didn't end up on that album. Yeah. So yeah, hmm. watching those uh, clips on YouTube, and there's there's a lot. There's there's pretty good documentation of him on YouTube, and yeah, you know you talk, you talk about that melancholy nature. I mean, he's up there on stage, and at times he just he just looks bored, like he's like he's uh, uh, prepping dinner or something. He's like trimming his nails, and he's just yeah. ripping off these solos. Oh yeah, and with just searing tone. And 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 yeah, and I noticed you know they they do like a pullback, and he has no pedals. On that yep. in that uh, PBS doc, there are no pedals up there. It's all it's all finger tone and and like you said, his pickups and his slash speakers cranked and and yeah. um, and and his techniques were so interesting because he would do you know he would do the shredding, but but then he would also you know he would he would kind of lull you to sleep a little bit and then he would fire away again and then he would just do like finger tapping like he wouldn't even be you know using his his strumming hand he would just be finger tapping the whole way and, and kind of like looking bored and then like amusing himself a little bit and gets a little bit of a grin on his face and then he realizes he's smiling so he stops smiling and he never <laughs> looks he never looks like he's fully there right now right he, yeah. he looks like he's you know what i mean he looks like he's thinking about something else or mm-hmm. 
something, you know, I don't know. It's yeah, just for sure. And, and an interesting story about a little backstory on that PBS documentary, not to hog our segment time here, guys, but he, at the time that it was made and he was playing around, he had a young and up and coming guitarist. Some of you may know out there named Danny Gatton, who is also a legend on the Telecaster. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? He was being tutored by Roy Buchanan. And so, supposedly, he thought he could possibly get showed up by Danny Gatt. So, when they went to do the segment where, on the documentary, the producers, they were like, okay, we're going to film this mini documentary, and then the other half of it is going to be interspersed this live show. We're going to shoot of you, but we want you to invite one person. And so, like, everyone around thought for sure he was going to choose Danny Gatton. Well, like I said, he was a little bit, you know, reluctant to do that because he thought he could possibly get showed up because Danny Gatton was a fantastic guitar player. And at that time, Danny Gatton was playing a lot of slide and he was just awesome at it. Uh And so he got another Washington, D.C. local native, Nils Lofgren, to come and play. And and I'll be honest, there are parts of that Nils Lofgren clip on the documentary where Roy Buchanan kind of looks like, hey, this guy's kind of like showboating a little bit, or like he's kind of he's kind of like blowing me away a little bit or something. Like, but it's funny you could, like I said, it's so he's so he's so hard to read, yeah, uh, on some of it, and some of it, like I said, he just seems so lonely, or something, or so disparate. But he was just such a fantastic guitar player, regardless of everything else. And uh, I think he definitely, definitely deserves to be an inductee as a chewin. Well done. Well done. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Just a, a mythic figure, that guy. Um. All right, Jonathan, go ahead, man. You you could uh, just. Oh uh... uh, well, there's there's very little segue here, though. Um, my band's debut EP came out in 1988. Um. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, my my nomination for uh, 2017... One legend ends and another is born. Yes. Yes, one one a little less um, mythic and a little bit more straightforward <laughs> in uh, the band uh, called Mud Honey. Uh, nice. And I'm, I'm nominating, enshrining Mud Honey, not so coincidentally, alongside the actual enshrinement of Pearl Jam, uh, because I felt like uh, Mud Honey was... They were a band kind of at the heart of the uh, Seattle scene that, I mean, it really began in the late 80s, um, you know, a few years before uh, Nirvana and Pearl Jam hit it big. Um, but the irony of their prominent position and longevity in the scene is that um, their sense of humor was always really evident and running totally contradictory to a scene primarily known for its very brooding nature. Uh, both Kurt Cobain and Eddie Vedder were equally guilty of this brooding. Um, but that didn't make them outcasts in any way in Seattle. They were admired by and collaborated with, uh, you know, the heavy hitters of Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Alice in Chains. And, and um, like, Mudhoney was the guy in high school that could sit with any clique at lunch and everybody would have a pretty good time. And, um, well, it, so long as uh, everybody at the lunch table was cool with Matt Lucan being mostly naked uh, <laughs> most of the time. But 
and and so Mudhoney just kind of persevered through all of this. You know, they never officially, I don't think, ever broke up really. Um, they've since replaced one band member, the aforementioned Matt Lucan on bass, who just stopped uh, in the early 2000s, uh, and then they replaced um, uh, re- replaced him um, with uh, the same bass player that they've had since, um, uh, Guy Madison. And so, uh, but anyway, back to 1988, the EP Superfuzz Big Muff, um, it's in Cobain's top 50 albums of all time, for what that's worth. I I think we're all mentioned somewhere in Kurt Cobain's notebook. I, <laughs> I keep hearing about all these mentions. Um, and and so it's it's funny because the Superfuzz Big Muff title itself is has roots in um, uh, uh, guitar pedals, which we were just kind of talking about. And uh, there are two types of guitar pedals. Um, one, the uh, Superfuzz is made by Univox, and the Big Muff is made by Electroharmonics. And so when I was at the... Um, I visited Seattle several years ago, and the Experience Music Project, um, they had the actual Super Fuzz Big Muff combo from Mudhoney. They had donated it, whatever, to, mm. uh, uh, to, to be on display there, and uh, to their collection. And so that was kind of cool to see in a really nerdy sense. Um, but the Super Fuzz Big Muff what gave this kind of guitar sound that was very... Um, uh, very much Mudhoney, but also leaked into other bands in Seattle. So it was pretty appropriate that uh, that it would be uh, titled this, like this, the seminal album, um, and so the Seattle scene starts to gain a lot of traction. Cameron Crow makes singles, and uh, they they create the uh, the single soundtrack, which sold millions of records. Yeah, and uh, so Mudhoney uh, was given twenty thousand dollars to record a song for the soundtrack. They spent $164 of it by recording it at a dude's house. A song called Overblown. <laughs> a song called Overblown that's all about how the scene is overblown. So uh, Mark Arm, uh, the lead singer, uh, Steve Turner, the uh, guitarist, uh, Dan Peters, the drummer. Anyway, Mar- Mark Arm, is, he's a pretty funny dude when it comes to his, uh, comes to his songs. I, like, nobody has more punchlines yeah. In their songs, this side of like Weird Al, yeah, know? right, and right. and uh, Mark Arm really likes to call bullshit uh, when he sees it, and he even when it's within his own city, whether it be overblown songs like uh, Generation Spokesmodel, Into Your Shtick, uh, Into Your Shtick is a amazing song uh, when it comes to calling people out on bullshit, and it's um, it's pretty brutal at the same time. Um, no, no band. You know, even uh, Pearl Jam is writes more political songs uh, than Mud Honey. Songs like Fearless Doctor Killers, uh, Hard On for War, I Saw the Light. Uh, pretty, pretty intense and scathing uh, uh, songs about uh, that. Unfortunately, are very still prominent um, today. Uh, so. While they had this Superfuzz Big Muff sound, right, it was still very uh, retro and timeless and from, like, surf rock to the Stooges, you know, and um, so much to the Stooges that it, at one point, you know, they've, uh, they've done, like, Stooges sets. Um, Mark Arms been, a, like, a, uh, a stand and vocalist. Nice. Uh, and, excuse me, and... So they've, they've had a, this pretty steady sound and production throughout. Uh, they've had about ten albums. 
and but at the same time, you know, they've later incorporated horns, which sounded interesting. I remember the first time I heard it, I was like, "Holy shit!" There's horns on this Mudhoney album. It's so strange, <laughs> right? And um, and so they've evolved a, a little bit, and I've I've been fortunate enough to to catch them a couple times. Uh, uh, one time in Kansas City a couple years ago, we were on this. I literally stood to the side of the stage with like I could have. I could have touched the super fuzz big muff of, of Stevie Kerr's <laughs> and uh, it was pretty cool. I mean, they're all just sitting at the bar before the show and I had him, I had him say hello to Michael Davis. I had Stevie Turner say hello to Michael Davis, uh, who's <laughs> on episode 75 and, um, uh, on my phone, I had him say hi. And, uh, so, so the pretty cool guys and the re- super accessible dudes, like probably some of the most accessible dudes, it seems like from the whole Seattle scene, um, in that, you see what these uh, Mark Arm actually works for Sub Pop Records. Uh, so Mudhoney was kind of the the first big uh, band for Sub Pop, relatively speaking, like first band for Sub Pop. And uh, Mark Arm actually like works in the warehouse for Sub Pop Records, or did at one point. There's video of him. There's a documentary on Mudhoney. Like he he fulfills orders. Like he'll go grab you know somebody orders Super Fuzz Big Muff on the internet, and he'll like put it in the you know, in the box to be fulfilled. Um, Guy Madison, the the second bass player that replaced Matt Lucan, um, he was uh, also works as a registered nurse. And uh, I guess at a show in Switzerland several years ago, a thing happened that you thought only happens in the movies, and that's when a stage diver jumps off the stage and the seas part. Yeah, and and he just lands on you know on the on Concrete. the floor. Yeah. yeah, that happened, and so they stopped the show. And Guy Madison goes down there and like checks him out because the dude's kind of messed up. And in the meantime, they call an ambulance. And so like the bass player of Mud Honey is tending to this fallen <laughs> stage yeah. diver uh, in the middle of a show. Um, and so just to see these guys, because you know a lot of musicians do have to work other jobs but the sure. pr- pride probably hides a lot of that or they just, sure yeah they, they don't bother showing it but these dudes they don't care you know yeah um and so i, I think that that's a that's a um a pretty cool aspect about them also uh points of note uh uh 2013 they played the space needle um for sub pop's 25th anniversary they played there's awesome it's a 25 minute set that's on youtube they're on top of the space needle wow uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, with a little crowd there, uh, pretty cool. And uh, oh, and then uh, lastly, uh, since I'm a big graphic guy, Ed, Ed Fotheringham's artwork for My Brother the Cow, Every Good Boy Deserves Fudge, uh, I think is is great. He does awesome illustrations. I hope to someday have him on the show, even. Um, but uh, but all that being said, I would um, I would say Tomorrow Hit Today is probably my favorite Mud Honey records from 1998. There are some killer stevie turner writes some killer songs uh ghost on there it's just it's it's got such a hook to it but uh at the same time yeah it's it's uh all its own and uh the one and only mutt honey class of 2017 cool good choice yeah um i i feel like um well also you forgot to mention that they're in black sheep as well right (laughs) yeah um but uh yeah i i feel like they, um, uh, you know, they never got as big, obviously, as the other the other bands from Seattle, and I think a lot of people that uh, 
listen to those bands probably couldn't name one Mudhoney song, you know, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Uh, and that's 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 a travesty <laughs> because, uh, yeah, they uh, they they deserve it. They they rip. I saw them. Uh, I saw them probably about oh six. I think I saw them. Uh, and then I saw them at Riot Fest one year, too. And uh, yeah, they they definitely still deliver. They got a lot of punch still. So they do, yeah, um, and their their shows are intense. Um, yeah, that was kind of the Kansas City show and the show I saw in Chicago with Michael Davis, uh, like ten years ago. Both of those had mosh pits, and they're legit mosh pits. Uh, and I'm I was glad that we were I was to the side of it. I think Davis jumped in one. And I was like, I'm staying away. <laughs> I think there was a little bit of one um, at uh, when I saw him. I saw him at the uh, the Double Door back in '06. Okay. okay, I think. Yeah, uh, which was a great show. Uh, really, really good band called The Cynics from Pittsburgh opened up for them, too. So anyway, um, so, you know, my my inductee and thanks for sharing yours, guys. Great choices. Um, you know, uh, the one that uh, you, you mentioned critical acclaim for for both of your inductees, um, you know, Mudhoney, uh, among other Seattle musicians, as well as, um, I think, I think their first record was on that, like 1001 albums to buy before you die or something like that. And then Roy Buchanan, like Levi had mentioned, you know, was, uh, certainly, uh, certainly maybe not famous among music fans, but famous among musicians. Um, you know, my band that I'm inducting probably has, has never really, I think, gotten the respect that they deserve. Uh, I'm not saying they're, you know, Led Zeppelin or anything, um, but uh, you know, a few writers recognize Tesla as more than a hairband. Uh, where I think that label, unfortunately, and maybe not totally unfairly on on a few songs, that's where they're lumped. Um, you know, but Tesla never went overboard on Aquanet or Spandex, like some of the other bands of the late 80s. Or makeup. Or makeup, yeah. yeah. No, no, they weren't Striper or Poison by any means. Um, and unfortunately, I think in a lot of people's eyes, like when they, when, when they, when you say Tesla, they think, oh yeah, yeah, Rat, Poison. And I, I, I like Rat and Poison too. But I think Tesla always had a lot more layers to their music than a lot of their quote unquote contemporaries. Um, their tunes are bluesier, I think. And I also think uh, really the strong dueling lead guitars um, really set them apart in um, uh, Frank Hannon and Tommy Scotch. Now, Tommy's not with them anymore. Uh, but uh, they've got a guy named Dave Rude, which is a badass name. Uh, he's been he's been playing he's uh, been son play- of Rick, I believe. Just getting this <laughs> in. Um, so uh, yeah, he's ravishing. Um, but anyway, um, so yeah, you know. Also, I, I, I think to their credit as well, um, a lot like Mud Honey, um, they've kept most of the original lineup intact. That uh, Tommy Tommy Scotch. Um, uh, he he's you know he's it's pretty pretty well publicized that he's had his struggles with uh with you know substance abuse and and what have you he's doing okay now um but he he uh i think like 2004 or so 2006 something like that was when Dave Rude joined the band so you know you still go see Tesla now and it's four of the five original members and they still sound great live yeah. um 
And, you know, um, Tesla deserves better. You know, I think I think that the Tesla soup kind of sounds to me sort of like you take a heaping helping of Aerosmith, put in like maybe even a little spoonful of the Almond Brothers, uh, a full cup of the Scorpions, and then um, add another full cup of like all the best parts of Def Leppard, right? Um, and then, and then, and then maybe even mix in like a little bit of UFO and Led Zeppelin as well. And to me, that's Tesla. You know, that's not poison or, um, you know, I, I, I think all those influences that I just mentioned are, are really prominently displayed, um, on these two records that they did called a real to real, uh, which are all covers. And, um, the, the covers don't stray too much from the originals, but they're both really fun records. So I, I suggest checking them out. And as far as Tesla's studio output, um, they've gone through a couple hiatuses. So despite the fact that their first record came out in 1986, they only have seven studio albums, uh, which, I, which to me, like for a band that's been together for 30, over 30 years now, that's that's not a lot. Um, and, and, and a lot of that has to do with, you know, they've taken some some long breaks, including, I think, kind of breaking up in 96 and they didn't get back together until late 2000. Um, and then they've, they've been together pretty much ever since. Um, you know, they have two great records, I think, um, that really stand out, uh, particularly for, you know, albums coming out in 1986 and 1988, um, you know, mechanical resonance and then the great radio controversy, um, are, are, are both great records, I think. And then the psychotic supper, which came out, like, you know, after five man acoustical jam really broke through. Uh, that's a pretty good record too. Um, yeah. I think is psychotic supper. I think uh, you're, yeah, 90, no, you're, you're, you're yeah, right on five man, acoustic, five man acoustic jam. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, you know, with Tesla, um, I, I, one thing I wanted to mention is five man acoustic acoustical jam. That's how a lot of people, you know, were introduced to Tesla. For sure. Um, signs was huge. Uh, their, their, their famous cover of, um, uh, from five man, uh, uh, five man acoustic band, five man electric band. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. From their just a, a you know, a, a, a semi-popular song from, uh, like 1970, something like that. And they just took it, and it just that blew up, man. I mean, Signs was huge. I mean, I remember just constant constant rotation on MTV and on the radio. Um, and it's it's kind of a perfect cover, man. It really is. Um, and I think covers are important because they had really choice taste in covers. You know, they 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 take Signs, and then also you go back to their first record in '86. They take a new wave song, Little Susie, by a band called PhD, which is like a British new wave band, and they just totally make it just a, a driving, but like also really warm acoustic, you know, yeah, hard yeah. rock song. Don't bring uh, her down, man. Yeah, she's a lot like you. Uh, it's one. It's shit, man. It's one of my favorite songs. I mean, oh, yeah. I think it's. Yeah, I think it's, it's one of the best. Song, yeah. I think it's one of. My, it's one, I think it's one of the best covers ever. I mean, and I, I think. You know, they really took those that song and made it their own. Um, and uh, it's not to say, like, you know, like they're not over the top at times on some on, on those couple records. Um, you know, it's unfortunate. And I've already alluded to it a little bit 
when people mention Tesla, a lot of times they say, well, you know, good for the time, right? They'll say like, oh, you know, they're better than all those Aquanet bands, you know? And that's probably true, but I, I just wish that we didn't always have to couch Tesla in that, you know, we didn't always have to bring up those other bands yeah, when we talk sure. about them because they've got a lot more in common with 70s Aerosmith than they do with the Bullet Boys. For you know? sure. And, yeah. and it's, uh, you know, it's Jeff Keith, right? Yeah. His his voice definitely lent like a blue-eyed soul aspect almost to some of their songs. The yeah. way he could... The way, you know, the emotion in his voice. Oh, yeah. And, that, you know, that was missing in a lot of those bands that oh, they absolutely. get couched with. That, that, that His raspy voice, as well as, you know, just the, I really think, blues-driven guitar. I think Frank Hannon's a really underrated guitarist. Oh, yeah. um, and Keith also, you know, has that kind of, he's got the good frontman vibes, you know? I mean, it's like some Steven Tyler, um you know, kind of like a little bit of Shake Your Moneymaker era Chris Robinson, um, you know, a little bit of even like, you know, Faces era Rod Stewart. I mean, he had a little bit of that um, and he still sounds great. I mean, his his rasp is well preserved, if that yeah, makes any sense. For sure. Um, Do you think he possibly influenced Chris Robinson uh, I, with I stage know. presence? It, I it feels possible. like it. I think so. Yeah, yeah particularly the like Shake Your Moneymaker. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, they were they were both like wiry tall you know kind of um yeah i i always i always thought that like tesla sounded like and this is going to sound like a knock but it's not i thought it always sounded like the crows if the crows didn't evolve Mm -hmm. you know what i mean um you know yeah check out um we're no good together one of my favorite tracks on mechanical resonance um, it's just got so much more layers than i think they're given credit for their music does and uh, finally um you know, I talked about Five Man Acoustical Jam, uh, that their, their their live album from 1990, uh, which has got great covers on it. You know, Signs, as I mentioned, they do a pitch perfect version of We Can Work It Out, um, oh, yeah, which sure. I, I, I mean, the harmonies are just phenomenal yeah. on that version of that song. Uh, good, good, um, good backing vocals too. Uh, Brian Wheat, who's the bass player. He always contributes to the backing vocals as well. So they had like, you know, four strong voices really propelling that acoustic uh, live album. And um, also, I think that 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 album, even though there had been a couple episodes of MTV Unplugged recorded, I think that album indirectly, uh, maybe even directly, is responsible for making MTV Unplugged. There popular. was a first season in like '89, but it wasn't that popular. No, it had. And it for had, sure, that album hit the airwaves, and they played the crap out of that song. Yeah, and, and it got people to kind of just be into that. You people know what started I mean? to appreciate acoustic yeah. music more. They wanted to hear yeah. hard rock bands play acoustic. Yeah, they wanted... Clapton Unplugged came out, and that yeah. was huge after that. And, and Tesla did an Unplugged as well after that record broke, uh, which is really good too. By the way, uh, they're Unplugged. It's only about it's only it's like half of an episode. Like I don't know if you guys remember, they used to like it used to be two bands mm-hmm. featured on Unplugged, unless it was like a special occasion, like you know Nirvana or something like that. Um, but yeah, so I've I've got a lot of affection for these guys. I think they're kind of perpetual underdogs, um, and uh, you know. I, they're they're just they're just a really good it's kind of a cliche but no frills 
rock and roll band. Uh, and Sacramento's finest deserves to be a chew in. Yeah, so, there you go. Well Tesla, Tesla gets it for me. It's not what well you got, it's what you give. You know it, you know it. So, yep, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, good, good, good stuff. Yeah, always, yeah. yeah always like hearing them. Yeah. Nice. Now for the other half of the episode. Yeah, let's have some fun with this, guys. Um, I threw this together just kind of yesterday, but I thought it would be fun. Um, as I mentioned earlier, 2017, really good class of Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year. Uh, you know, yes, Pearl Jam, Journey, Joan Baez, Electric Light Orchestra, um, uh, Journey, if I didn't, Joan you Baez. Did, yeah. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Um, so what I've done is... Um, I, I took the names of all the inductees. So, you know, yes, even though yes has had like 57 members, they only inducted eight people, just eight. Um, uh, it was the union lineup essentially. So, uh, we, we've got a lot of yes in our pool of applicants here. Um, but what I did was I, 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 I took it as, you know, vocals, guitar, drums, bass, keys, and Roy Wood, essentially, since uh, Roy Wood was inducted with Electric Light Orchestra. Um, and the rules are, I, I, I kind of wanted to make this, you know, a little more challenging, guys. So what I'm pitching as the rules are, you got to have a vocalist, a bassist, a drummer, at least one guitarist, and your fifth member can be either a second guitarist, keyboards, or Roy Wood. Okay. <laughs> um, so you have to fill I, out your positions. You got to fill out your positions. You got five slots. All right, five slots okay. to fill. So you can you can you can do two guitarists if you want to, or you can you know you could do a guitarist and keys because there's some great keyboardists, fortunately, in uh, in this class. Um, unfortunately, Boom from Pearl Jam did not get inducted, so I, I did not include right. Boom in the list. And then also. Um, I included Chris Squire, even though he's deceased. Obviously, he's one of Rock's greatest bassists, uh, so I, I just couldn't leave him out. Um, and, and we, we were, we're, we're and, Tupac, yeah, and tu- deceased, Tupac as well. Yeah. I, I mentioned and Tupac as well. I'm sorry. Um, there's there's some conspiracies around that, but anyway, um, <laughs> right, right. yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, and I, I forgot to mention Tupac as well. Uh, so yeah, you know, uh, you could you could take Tupac as a as a vocalist and. And uh, certainly make things interesting there. So yeah, Tupac as well. So Tupac and Squire are are both in the list. Um, so you know, I put our names in a randomizer. I swear, and I came up first. All right, I I, I promise. Are we snaking? Uh, um, we could. Yeah, you want to you want to do it that way? Yeah, yeah, be, yeah, yeah let's snake. do it that way. Yeah. Let's do it that way. Okay. All right. So that leaves me. That goes. I go with the. I, I got the first choice, and we're gonna do the snake here. Um, all right, guys, you guys might not, um, I, here's, I'm, here's why this guy's my first choice. I think some versatility, cause I actually want these, these people, uh, to, to sound good together. And I think a lot of people could work with this guy. So I'm taking Jeff Lynn as my first choice. Ah, damn. Damn. <laughs> Okay. Tear up my draft board, but yeah, still yeah, takes, right. still takes Lynn first. I had him all the way to the final four. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so son of a gun, man! I I had centered everything around it. <laughs> Obviously, as you do with like one of the most like one 
of the best songwriters of his generation. And he was yeah. actually my second. He was my second guitar player. Uh, oh, you were going to relegate him to your second? You don't deserve to have him. <laughs> <laughs> All right then. Um, so that that I'm, yeah. Go ahead. That uh, that 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 definitely shakes it out. I was because I didn't want to go cliche and go Eddie, right? So um, do it. No, I'm I'm. I'll go, uh, I'll go John Anderson. Okay. Nice. All right. It could happen to you. Nice. Okay. So now I get two picks, right? You do. Is that what we're doing? You do, yeah. This is monumental. Okay. I think I got to go Nile Rodgers first. Oh, yes. Is, was he on here? Oh right, I he was. So. I forgot. I forgot to put him on there. Oh, did yeah. you guys not mention him? He's on oh, there. You're, you're right, though. You're right, though. Yeah, yeah Nile Rogers is in. Man. You're gonna put him at guitar. Thank you, Jesus Christ. I'm I'm embarrassed. Uh, I forgot oh. to. Good choice too, because right. like that guy can play with anybody. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah. then for drums, I mean, I didn't fact check this, but is Bill Bruford on the list? Yep. Yeah, he made it. I think I think Nile and and Bruford. There you All go. Right. There's my I first like two. Yeah, Bill Bruford and Alan White both made it. Um, they, they they took Yes's union lineup. Union lineup, yeah. Yeah, so. Um, anyway, all right, so uh, all right. back to Get. All yeah. right. So I'm going uh, to go to... Man, that really screws up everything, doesn't it? Um, I'm going to go to base, and uh, I'm going to pick up Jeff Amen. All right. Base. Good choice. Good choice. He uh, was John my bass player. Jeff Amen. He was my bass player. Now I gotta pick a new one. We're, we're, the bass bassists are limited. All right, uh, on this list, uh, it's not a bass heavy uh, list. Although we have some great players. Whoops. All right. Uh, so, uh, or back to me now? Is it me? Okay. Yeah. Uh, all right. Okay. So I've got Jeff Lynn. Well, you know what? Since bass is going to be hard to come by, I'm, I'm t- I got to take Squire, obviously. Right? Yeah. That's what I so, was just thinking. I was like, man, yeah. if he doesn't pick Squire, I gotta, yeah, I gotta have him. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I go with the fish. I go with Squire. Let's do it. All right, you get another pick too. Oh, I do. Yes, 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 yes. Um. Hmm. All right. Now I'm really thinking about how this band will sound. Um. Okay. Um. This this is I, I'm gonna go actually now with um, I'm gonna go with Greg Raleigh, all right? Um, I, yeah, you know what? Uh, 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 you know the roots of Journey, Santana. For sure, that's the root yeah. of Journey. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know. Obviously, it sounded different, um, but. You know, Raleigh's on the. Uh, well, he was he was there until like about eighty one or so when Jonathan Kane came on board, and they've still got him. Uh, but yeah, you know, um, I'm not. I, gonna... All my favorite Journey songs are, are Raleigh era. Songs. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, definitely, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, I'm going with Raleigh. Uh, let, let's do it. Nice, nice, good call. All right, I'm gonna yeah. add some keys up in this joint, and uh, I'm I'm gonna get that ELO sound after all. I'm going Richard Tandy. On, oh, okay. On nice. Good choice. Okay. God, ELO has so many great tunes. Oh, my gosh. You know, I mean, like, 
I uh, it's one of those things I I, for, I forget how many great tunes they have, and unless I like sit down and look at them, you know, you're like, oh shit, you know, wow. Okay. These guys are so good. I, yeah, yeah. He, he's uh, such an underrated songwriter. Uh, yeah. Jeff Lynne. Yeah. Obviously, sure. I mean, he's been enshrined in the Hall of Fame. How underrated can he be? <laughs> but yeah. I think um, for my next pick, I'm gonna go keys as well i'm gonna pick wakeman while he's still on the board all right i you know obviously he's i i I, he's the um the most over the top of any of these keyboardists you know (laughs) and like i i love the guy uh i do it's just uh, it's he's really gonna he's gonna be a big part of the band you know what I mean? Like, it's, I've got a, I've got something cooking here. I, right, I'm gonna right. I'm gonna pick a song that these guys are gonna do. Okay. When we're all, all right. done. All right. Okay. So, uh, do I pick we, twice again? Yeah, or yeah, no, you can still again. Split. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. okay. <coughs> Vocals, Tupac. Nice. I like it. I like it. Wow. All right. All right, so I'm gonna. Um, I, I I need a drummer, so I got John Anderson, Jeff Amen, Richard Tandy on keys. I'm gonna go Ainsley Dunbar on drums. Good choice. Yeah, pretty versatile Solid. dude. Solid. Yes. Hey, he played with Jefferson Starship for a while too. Zappa. Yeah, he played with Zappa. Mills, yeah. UFO. Bowie. Yeah. yeah. Good choice. All right. Um, all right. Uh, okay, so what do I got here? Uh, I've got a bassist. I've got Chris Squire. I've got Jeff Lynn. Oh, shit, I need a guitarist. Yeah, and I've got uh, Greg Raleigh. Okay, uh, so I've got two picks left, right? Yeah. Yeah, I've got one pick left. Oh, okay. So how many members do you have? I currently have four members, so okay, I'm okay. going to be my okay. fifth. Okay. All right. Um, God. Shit, this is tough. This is really tough now. Um, I've got to take a guitarist, obviously. God, they're all so good, too. Um, I'm going to go... God, this is not a Pearl Jam heavy night for me. uh, Because I'm thinking about integration here. Um, I'm going to go with Hal. Uh, yeah, I, I've uh, I, I've got to go with Hal. He hasn't been taken yet, right? Right. No. Okay. No. Nope. Right. The okay. good-looking band. Yep. Okay. Jonathan. Uh, Gabe, you get one uh, one more to round it out. Oh, to, to yeah. oh, I thought he already, oh, sorry, I thought he had five. Yeah. Sorry. So I've got Jeff Lynn on vocals, maybe strumming a little acoustic too. Um, Steve Howe. Uh, oh, I need a drummer. Yeah, I, 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 I need a drummer. Um, Steve Smith. Oh, I'm going to go with Alan White. Yeah. Um, Alan White played on uh, Plastic Ono Band. Do you guys know that? No. Yeah, he did. Nice. Um, Roy Buchanan was invited to play on Plastic Ono Band, but he mm. passed out on Ludes uh, on the uh, on the control table. Supposedly, out. he was going to work with McCartney as well, and like kind of blew it all off. Man, man. All right. I, I, I said, like he was my... al- said he was always just playing for himself. 
Yeah. My uh, band is complete. Nice. Nice. Okay. I call them I call them mesh. All right. <laughs> mesh. <laughs> All right, um, I will round out my band. I, I need a guitarist as well. And um, in the interest of keeping it all mixed and not having two members of the same band, I guess I'll go I, Neil, I ended up to, to Neil, yes Neil Schoen. Okay. Nice. Oh, uh, yeah. All right. Yeah. There you go. Cool. I okay. like it, guys. My last pick, and I guess, I mean, I'm basically, I'm not going to say I'm forced to take Ross Valerie. But I am forced to take Ross Valerie. <laughs> so, um, Ross Valerie. Sometimes in life, we got to just select right. Ross uh, he's, right. You know, it's like if Hulk Hogan never took steroids. Um, but all right, so let's so, review these then. Yeah, um, my, my band is Tupac, Ross Valerie, Bill Bruford, Nile Rogers, and Rick Wakeman, and they're going to do Sly and the Family Stones "Music Lover." Nice. Ah, all right. Like all right wow yeah i like it um all right so my my band is john anderson jeff amen richard tandy ainsley dunbar and neil schoen they are going to perform all the young dudes nice good one that's a good one outstanding choice um uh i am going to pick um uh well i've got jeff lynn um as my vocalist Steve Howe on drums. I've got Alan White on bass. I've got Chris Squire. So I've got a lot of yes. And then on keys, I've got Greg Raleigh. Um, the song we're going to do is uh, ELO's Overture 10538. Uh, dude, it's oh. one of my favorite songs of theirs. And I can never remember the number. I'm always like, what? Yeah, <laughs> Like OU812, which one well, is it? Well, it, right? it got, it, you know, it kind of got uh, resurrected a few years ago on the uh, American Hustle soundtrack. Um, you know, it's... Um, it's on, Yeah, it's on that first record. And I looked out like five years ago and found like a mint copy of it in a free box of records that someone was throwing away. <laughs> of course you did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, nice. Yeah, yeah, so good stuff, man. I, I, I like it, guys. That's fun. Nice work. That's fun. Nice work. Yeah. Alrighty, well, it was a lot of fun. Um, you know what? Hey, if you want to build a band at home, let us know who you'd pick. All right, uh, you can tell us at rockchew.com, on Facebook, tweet at us uh, at rock in chew. That's rock as in in uh, as in owner of a lonely heart. Nile Rogers, maybe. Nile Rogers. Nile Rogers, who I, I'm embarrassed to say I forgot. Uh, Twice such now. A, I know, such a talented guy. Yeah, right, huh? No kidding. Uh, Nile, we're cool, I promise. Um, so anyway, yeah, check us please out. Please direct Rock. all hate mail to game. Right. Uh, please um, uh, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at rockinshoe. Also, you can find out all you can find all of our episodes at rockchew.com. And uh, we look forward to seeing everybody for episode number 77. Uh, thanks again and uh, have a great night. Catch okay. the spirit. <laughs>